Kia ora, talofa namaste, haeramai, and welcome to this week's episode of The Niche Cast. This is our regular Thursday Aotearoa sporting podcast where we do like to have a big old kōrero and just explore a few Aotearoa sporting topics. We've got plenty about the All Blacks, we've got a little bit more about the All Blacks and then apparently an All Blacks coach is now coaching Australia, so shout out to him. And we will not be discussing any of that today because we actually have a bit of Kiwi cricket to digest. Black Caps are in England and there's a A-series tour against the Aussies coming up and so we'll chat a wee bit about that and of course the biggest World Cup happening right now is the Tall Blacks at the Basketball World Cup, and they start that on Sunday morning. So we'll chat about that. We've got a Warriors versus Dragons game, Nishkesh Derby, which the Warriors will absolutely roll through the Dragons. So we'll talk about that and some other Kiwi NRL matters. Maybe a bit of NRLW as well, because they do have a few funky selections there with the inclusion of Noaria Boss Kapua. Her nickname or just alternative name is Boss. So shout out to Boss Kapua. She picked up a contract with the Parramatta Eels midweek. And now she is named to come off the bench for the Parramatta Eels. Also got Tafito Lafaele, former Black Fern, who hasn't played for the Broncos yet. She's named on the Broncos bench. So if we get to discussing some NRLW, I'll touch on those a bit more. And we have football. The Phoenix are in the Aussie Cup. They're about to win Australia's Greatest Cup and we've got here domestic football finals as well. So we'll touch on those things. Maybe a bit of flying Kiwi sprinkled in because we do know. Fresh off the Women's World Cup, Kiwis are scoring goals. Kiwis are stopping goals. Like the Kiwi goalkeepers at the moment are all, almost as uh, ahi, fuego, fire, lit as the goal scorers. Like the goal scorers are bagging goals men and women but these goalies like that Max Crocom uh, highlights package was just as impressive as Zach Jones or Nick Sarnev's one the other week as well yeah crikey Jack there's a lot of Kiwi goalies doing great things around the world as well so we'll see how we go try and cover those topics and just spread the positive vibes that's what we're here to do we love Aotearoa we love Aotearoa sport and we are from the niche case, thenish-case.com. Check that out, the website. All that NRLW stuff, there is a big preview that you can read about, so check that out. Also got a Warriors versus Dragons preview that is live. Got a Black Caps notebook after their UAE series. And of course, Flying Kiwis is live on our website at the moment as well. All of which is designed just to drop as much information as we have and help you enjoy those Aotearoa sporting things that are happening at the moment. Of course, we do big up the Patreon Fano and those with a paid Substack subscription as well. Those people support the niche case directly and we appreciate it a lot. Uh, it's basically our main revenue at the moment, although it's not a whole lot, but we're incredibly grateful. And those people have access to the subscriber podcast. So, uh, our subscriber podcast that we recorded on Tuesday had a fair bit of Warriors information and Black Caps. And we dropped that every Tuesday along with the variety show that you can access on YouTube or on the podcast platforms. Uh, 
Patreon and a paid Substack subscription are the easiest ways to support the niche case directly. Big up to everyone who has done that. And if you are reading or listening or perusing the niche case and you like what you see on our mission to highlight some of these other Aotearoa sporting pockets, support us via Patreon, support us via a paid Substack subscription, or just tell a friend. Just be nice to each other. Subscribe on YouTube. Jam the audio podcast if that's more your buzz. And our Substack newsletter, that's completely free. Comes out every Monday and Friday. We write things about Aotearoa Sport just for those newsletters. And you can then upgrade to a paid Substack subscription as well. It's basically the niche cache sent straight to you via Carrier Tui. We start our podcast with a bit of mindfulness. Chieftain, what do you got? I got a doozy from from Carl Jung. I did promise some Carl Jung ones a couple of weeks ago. Although I am just thinking about the logistics of a carrier toy right now as well. <laughs> I don't know that they're quite. I was thinking more like carrier. Uh, uh, I was going to say carrier kakapo, but I don't think they fly enough. Um, we do joke about this every time we bring up a carrier pigeon, carrier toy, carrier. Pukeko, whatever it is we do love our native birds and i'm sure if we had if we needed help the native birds would be there to help us no matter what those birds are because i don't even think the <laughs> pukeko can fly that far to be honest not that far um carrier keru would be pretty good they are a form of you know wood pigeon after all so that would that wouldn't go all right but anyway on cal young uh modern man does not understand how much his rationalism has put him at the mercy of the psychic underworld. And then a thing from the end of that paragraph as well to explain that a little bit more. It says, his moral and spiritual tradition has disintegrated. Bloody rationalism, eh? Well, I think, like, because that's something you, like, uh, it's to bring it into a more grounded sense, like, the rationalism to me is just, like, trying to, common sense is great except when you're dealing and you're trying to explain the magical realms Mm. with your common sense like your brain's trying to figure out how it's all going to happen how this is going to happen how that's going to happen how this person's going to come in how that person's going to go away how you're going to manifest this and this is going to happen and when this happens you can do this and can it even happen because i don't know how it's going to happen like none of those dots can actually be rationally connected to each other so as soon as you try and rationalize those things, then you're moving away from the magic. Yeah, and the process of rationalization can be a very like um, reductive thing too. Like you oversimplify stuff in order to be able to explain it because you, for some like, I suppose, human egotistical reason, you feel the need to understand everything that goes around you despite lacking i guess the humility of knowing that you can't actually understand stuff like you can understand some stuff you can't understand everything like there isn't capacity for that and we lack we lack the reason um but there is definitely like a uh, i don't know rationalism is definitely seems to be something that's come about very strongly in the last couple hundred years of like western society where those like the the traditional spiritual elements and not just spiritual elements but you know that i think moral was another word he used in that as well eh? like these things get explained away but they're actually quite important parts of the human experience and without them we probably as a society can become a little bit rudderless 
the rationalism also makes you feel smart which is an ego thing again isn't it yeah yeah because your brain's figuring things out your brain is deploying logic and connecting the dots and so it's like yeah i can figure this out my brain and my ego's like got everything mapped out when the reality is that's not the case because whatever you've mapped out in your head probably doesn't happen and then you realize you're an idiot and so on i forgot to carry the Um, two in that equation (laughs) cricket black caps cricket i did think like because the black caps they every time they're overseas or on a tour they add some more coaches and i was like thinking (laughs) about that we are rather cynical about some of these bodies but i was thinking like it just seems like a good kind of development activity especially cricket where it's been a topic of conversation a lot in my time watching cricket it's like what does their head coach for a cricket team actually do but when you're building a cricket program as the black caps have done having different insights different people you know offering their expertise i think it is beneficial and that is amplified and i kind of worked my way to this point where i think i just i enjoy the black caps program at the moment like their development and how how they build everything into the top tier black caps top tier black caps is major tournament black caps first 11 test cricket black caps and everything around that kind of just funnels into that upper echelon of black caps cricket so as much as i do want to like poke fun at having new assistant coaches for every tour because now you got Stephen Fleming and like Ian Bell or something and that's fine that's actually cool like those people are adding to the uh, to the system to the program but at the same time you've had like um Aditya Ashok and Dean Foxcroft called up to the Black Caps I think they're going to play the tour games against Worcestershire and Gloucestershire in England uh this weekend then they will go to the New Zealand A team who are playing two tests and then a couple of ODIs, three ODIs. First test, unofficial test, that starts next Monday. So when you kind of work through this, you can see a pretty well-designed Black Caps development structure. And I do want to just highlight that because I settled on it recently. So this seems to be working out pretty well and i think that definitely is working out well we do have a strong record of um highlighting when these organizations don't do things well but i think in this case the black caps are doing things pretty well and i am interested in this uh new zealand a squad strictly for the longer format at the moment when we get to the one day is i'll preview that but there are there are the veterans right there are the dudes who add their mana and their experience to this uh, group tom bruce cam fletcher scott kugelon sean solia ajaz patel jacob duffy's in that category as well but the youngsters here that i'm most interested in like you've got ashok and foxcroft they should be aiming to be the best players in this tour coming back from the black caps um experience Muhammad Abbas continues to enjoy a swift promotion. He made his debut last summer, and now he is um, getting a couple A gigs, which is good for him, so shout out to him. And 
There's also Willow Rourke, tall Canterbury seamer, who I talked a lot about last summer. Mitchell Hay, Canterbury wicketkeeper. Josh Clarkson, who was instrumental in helping Central Districts win the Plunkett Shield and Ford Trophy. He's there as well. So that's kind of my funky group that I'm most interested in for the series. Brett Randall, very uh, interesting seamer as well, but he's a bit older, but he's coming into the A system for one of their tours. So there are um, Clarkson's 26 years old, Mitch Hayes 23, Willow Rock's 22, Muhammad Abbas would be 19, 20 years old. But of course, we don't care about the ages because it's all about you know experience and where you are in the Black Caps pecking order. But there's... This is a very interesting A group with the experienced campaigners leading some pretty interesting young talent. Yeah, and that's um, like because a couple of years ago they cut back the Plunkett Shield by two rounds. Like it used to be just home and away against everyone. There's six teams, so that's ten games, and they cut it down to eight games. And that was something that was quite like you know controversial amongst amongst cricketing fans at the time and I would say I you know I certainly wasn't I was, I was certainly you know op- opposed to that um concept of shortening the um the the aspect of the se- of the domestic season which probably is the best development um pathway for play well not pathway but you know opportunity is that's when you learn the most about your cricket is playing the long form stuff um but to their credit and I still well, I guess it's an entirely this doesn't entirely balance out because I don't see why you can't have both. But to their credit, one of the things New Zealand cricket did when they when they cut the Plunkett Shield back was reinvested some of that money in boosting up an A program, which you know they've had that. Obviously, there's always been A A tours and second eleven stuff and the history of cricket, right? But that that's certainly something that um, that the Black Caps men's side of New Zealand cricket in particular made a big point of around that same time as is getting the A program, you know, regular tours every summer. And I think it has been something that's been quite successful for them is giving that little bridge between domestic cricket and international cricket, bringing the best sort of, um, the best domestic players below the Black Caps squads, bringing them together and getting them working with each other and, and um, you know, playing against some decent touring teams in some examples, going on tour in other examples. Like, it's been something they've put effort into and it's I don't know I, I think that has been quite successful most of the guys that you're seeing coming into the black caps um, as newer faces over the last few years have usually done so coming through a tours like that's it's also very helpful for us as well isn't it because we get to see where the thinking is like where's who are the next guys in line well they've picked an a tour so they've told us who the next guys in line are we already know this now and it's always interesting to see which dudes make that step up because there's only so many spots available in black cap squats. So when you get A tours, it just expands that out a little bit more so you get to understand that thinking. You get to see that milestone of someone going from, yeah, I've been like um, Clarkson, for example. I almost said Jordan Clarkson because I've been thinking about basketball. Josh Clarkson, for example, finished the last season so well. And now he's playing A cricket. You know, like there's a progression there in his career that we can now see where it's like if there were only black caps tours things you don't you don't see that until they get to that three step like three or four steps further down the line which might not even happen for someone in that position because again only so many spots going around for the black caps and a lot of that stuff just is sometimes is opportunistic of when they where they're going on tour at what time and who's available who's playing ipl or 100 or whatever at the time and which positions are needed that kind of stuff so it 
it's it's to your first point basically about how the black caps have i think it i think a lot of this is does come down to having a very sturdy first 11 as well like when you have that stuff sorted like they under they for the five or six years they've been a very good cricket team in most formats um in all formats at some point but in particular their test team's been quite strong for a, a number of years now they were the inaugural world test champions after all and when you've got that stability from your first 11 you're not trying to solve problems with stuff in there you just it, it just flows naturally and you have the room therefore to start building on your depth a bit and working on some of the pathways and pathways for coaches as well as players as you say like it's i think it's a reflection of a stable and successful um team is when that stuff starts to come through because i look at this in other sports where a lot of the times like a football team starts struggling and then it's like okay well we're going to pick all the kids now because the the older guys suck so we're going to promote some academy players and that's not necessarily the best environment for academy players to come through like the teams who are the strongest teams are often the ones with the best academies because everything's just in alignment and resourced well and um you're not trying to you know the, the problem solving stuff i'm talking about you're not trying to do that about well this young kid is here but we need a center back so maybe we'll try like you just people get to come in in a in a pressure-free environment when things are successful and flowing and the black caps have seemingly had that for a few years it's obviously been ups and downs with results and whatever but on the in the bigger picture they've been stable and successful for a number of years and this is what that starts to look like when you take advantage of that situation i think they're doing a good job of that so yeah like you know pucky pucky to the black caps it will be interesting i think neil wagner is going to be playing county cricket uh, over the next few weeks while the black caps are in england um, so that will be interesting. Another player I was thinking about was Henry Shipley, the Black Caps' best ODI bowler this year. Apparently he was in the UAE squad but didn't play. Um, and I, I'm i going to be tracking whether he does pop up for Sussex when county cricket resumes. I think there's three, maybe four rounds of county championship cricket coming up once England finishes their, you know, jolly old white ball tournament phase. So I will be, I'm going to be obviously tracking Neil Wagner very closely. Where Henry Shipley pops up will be interesting. And that's especially interesting now that Willow Rourke is getting promotion. And we've talked a lot about him, tall seamer from Canterbury. Cole Jamison is going back to Canterbury. So now Canterbury have their three tall abnormal seamers altogether jamison henry shipley willow rourke i find that quite exciting for the domestic summer and another quick note here about ashok aditya ashok the young leggy he has been able to work with mitchell santner and i think he'll be around east sodi as well in england then he goes to the a series where he'll be working with ajaz patel and you can make you can like make that kind of note about the seamers like a young seamer like willow rourke or henry shipley ben lister as well they're getting exposure to all the great seamers and spinners and batters in the black cap setup which i think is another development tick for them sunday morning we will have our first black cap uh tall blacks sorry not the black caps the tall blacks although sunday morning no that's saturday morning yeah, the Black Caps won't be action on Sunday morning, but the Tall Blacks will be in action at the Basketball World Cup. 
they are taking on the USA, and the USA have been uh, playing pretty well by the sounds of it in their warm-up games with uh, not a Super Saiyan all-star USA cast, but it's very good. Like You've still got Anthony Edwards, uh, Paolo Banchero, Jaron Jackson Jr., Stephen Adams' teammate, Jalen Brunson, Tyrese Halliburton, like a lot of very good up-and-coming NBA players are in that USA squad. And the Tall Blacks are probably going to lose that game. Let's just be straight up about it. But they will back up the next day, Monday morning, Monday night, sorry, against Jordan. So if the Tall Blacks lose against USA, you know, that one that one goes to the gods. That one goes to Ranganui and Papa Tuanuku. Then they come up back against Jordan, a couple days later against Greece. And those are the two games the Tall Blacks will be really eager to win. But starting against the USA, I think myself and you haven't watched the... Um, you've watched the Tall Blacks and followed the Tall Blacks closely over the last week or so throughout many losses on tour. Against the USA, you're probably just looking for signs of competitive life to then set up the games against Jordan and Greece because right now it doesn't feel like there's those it doesn't feel like defeating Jordan and defeating Greece are certainties like the Tall Blacks will have to be very good to win those games and they haven't been winning a whole lot of late so you'd like to see some promising signs some green sprouts in the game against USA yeah, they um, the Tall Blacks had, I think they played Japan first and they lost the first game, but then they won the second game. Um, then they lost to Canada and China. China was a close one. Canada, they got thrashed. And then they played a Chinese uh, CBA team and beat them, but then lost to Italy. And so that's, I think, that's the sum of their warm-up performances so basically whenever they've played international teams they they won one against japan in a rematch there the second of two games that they played against them but they've lost all the other games against international sides which is not you know it's a little bit of a concern but i think also to to clarify some of that stuff like they did um Shaley and Isaac Fotu were on limited minutes to start. Well, they didn't play at all to start with, and then sort of more limited later on. Definitely, the rotations were not what we'll see at the at the World Cup. It was hard to see much of any of these games because only like one or two of them were available for broadcast. But um, you know, Basketball NZ did some pretty good write ups on the things, so you get an idea of the stats and the trends and whatever. And the and certainly the box scores were available, so you get to see the rotations at least to some extent. Um, where you could see, because this was still with a 14-man squad, they haven't yet announced, I don't think, the two more players will be cut from that. So I'm not sure who that'll be yet. Um, but the, definitely, Pera Cameron was trying to get as many players' minutes and giving them opportunities to prove themselves and just keeping everyone fit and uh, and ready and, and whatnot and up to speed. And when you get to the World Cup itself... You know, Shaley's playing 30 minutes. Isaac Fotu's playing 30-plus minutes every every one of these games. You know, like, it's 
it's not going to be a case where everyone gets 15 to 20 minutes. You're tightening up with your best players playing more often in the combinations that they're used to. Combinations is a tricky one, though. I think that's another reason the USA one will be quite good, because if you do give everyone an extent, like to have that game first up, I mean, rather than later on, because it is a free hit, kind of. Like, you, you expect to lose, no dramas. We can go out there and give those rotations their first real extended go together and... You know, a starting lineup that's going to include like Shaley and Findelini and um, and some of these guys who've maybe been to previous World Cups but haven't been like the star players at previous World Cups, and now they're here to carry the team to some extent, um, which they kind of have to do because there's no Webster brothers here for the first time in a long time, and those are not only two key sort of veteran players in the squad, but also they're probably your two best scorers, and if you don't have that, you're going to have to you know spread the um, spread the wealth around between a bunch of different players, which I do think they have the capability to do. Like, rather than having someone who's going to go out there and score 30 points in, in any given night, it's a little bit more about let's see if we can get four to five guys with in that 10 to 15 range kind of thing and just um, win that way with a, with a team effort that spreads things around on the back of what we can reasonably expect i think because the only even in those games where they lost a lot of them defensively they seemed pretty handy except against canada but canada is stacked like that's a team that's competing for the title at this world cup so like when you yeah like defensively they were pretty solid against most of the other times so when you get into these games against jordan and greece and in particular you would hope they can keep them down within a within a realm of scoring to where the Tall Blacks can do their, like, spreading it around, chipping in here, there, and everywhere, and just doing enough. Um, turnovers were the big issue in those things, as I sort of detailed on the on the Variety Show um, the other day. Like, whenever they lost, there were just big turnover things. And hopefully, Shaley being a more prominent role in the games that matter will help that, because he is their main ball handler, and he is a sort of, you know... Uh, um, uh, key veteran leader out there he is someone who's hopefully not going to be taking silly risks and throwing the ball away and and whatever so there's 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 reason for like not concern but just at least pumping the brakes on maybe okay there's this is maybe a little bit of a tall black squad that's kind of um trying to figure things out a little bit there's they don't have a lot of the players they've relied on for the last five to ten years and this is a little bit of the next step and the evolution but at the same time, there's reasons to think that some of the some of the stuff we saw, particularly with some of them defeats and the the high turnovers, are blowing a couple fourth quarter leads. I think Italy and, and China were the case there. Some of that negative stuff from the preparation. There's reason also to think that that's that that won't necessarily be the case at the at the World Cup because there were warm up game asterisks over that with rotations and players and whatever. I'm I'm not as optimistic as I was maybe this time a year ago, just thinking about the the general trajectory of Kiwi basketball and how that would hopefully be reflected at this World Cup because they don't have all of their best players available. But, you know, it's still Tall Blacks at the World Cup, so it's still... There's still a level of... Uh, uh, sort of um, mana and energy and commitment that you're going to get from any Tall Blacks team. Like, that's just always going to be the case because that's the culture of this side. And I'm, I'm now cautiously optimistic that they'll um that they'll turn it up jordan is a team they usually 
beat and and they have beaten them with weakened teams and Asia Cup and I think they beat them for third place at an Asia Cup not that long ago and um, World Cup qualifying they've played them a little bit so they're used to playing Jordan obviously it's different at a World Cup but that's a familiar opponent and Greece are tough Greece are very tough I would say Greece would be favorites against the Tall Blacks for sure however they don't have Giannis Antetokounmpo like, they don't have the one guy who would have turned that into a unstoppable juggernaut, which does make it a more competitive game. So we'll see We'll see how that goes. So but go back to the USA game, probably going to lose that game. What do we want to see? Minimal turnovers would be ideal because yep. you're playing a high-quality opponent who are probably going to first force a few turnovers. So if the Tall Blacks can have less turnovers against the USA, I think that's a promising sign. And you're also probably going to struggle to score points, as you said, with the players they have. It's not like necessarily conducive to scoring 100 points regularly, let alone against the best team in the tournament. Well, also when you so, look at who is who the USA have, like that team, because because yeah, it's bit, not yeah. it's not Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Steph Curry, all the superstars. What what they've got is like unreal defenders across the board they've just picked all the solid like the third best player on every nba team kind of thing which i actually think is kind of dangerous because it's not hyped up but it is those guys aren't going to have off days you know as i said they are the best team in the tournament like they're the usa basketball team for a reason and if you can score points against them that's going to be a good sign so turnovers Minimal turnovers and signs of scoring points against the USA, I think, are key indicators of a promising Tall Blacks campaign. Is there anything else that stands out as far as like what you'll be watching for specifically against the USA? Um, well, let me just find the Tall Blacks squad here. It will be interesting to see who those two players that get cut are. I think... Um yeah, we'll see. We'll leave that up to Perro Cameron. I'm not going to. Yeah, I'm speaking like that, just but... watching the basketball game against USA. What are you going to be watching for in that game as signs of optimism, aside from turnovers and points? Yeah. Well, the reason I was thinking of that is because I was wondering like who might be the young dudes who are suddenly because like okay, you don't have the Webster brothers. They weren't able to get Stephen Adams back, even though they maybe emotionally got Stephen Adams back. They didn't physically get him back because his knees busted. So. Um, Sam Warnenberg isn't there. Tom Abercrombie and Rob Lowe have retired, right? So there's a list of half a squad right there who's unavailable. Well, then there's six players who weren't going to be in the a, a first-choice World Cup squad who suddenly are. Now, that means there are going to be guys who are, and I don't know, maybe maybe Dan Fortu is someone like that. Maybe uh, I think Isaiah Liafa will be someone like that. Um, perhaps uh, if Walter Brown sneaks in there, definitely think Yanni Wetzel will be someone who who falls into this category. Like guys who are going to get bigger minutes than they might otherwise. Flynn Cameron as well, for sure, Flynn Cameron, because um, he's also a big game player. He's he's done this for Tall Blacks um, teams in the past, despite his youth and inexperience. So guys like that, like who... Because clearly when you're missing key contributors from recent Tall Blacks, um, you know, teams. You're missing those guys. Someone has to fill that void. And I talked about the scoring can be spread out amongst, but it's still a case of like, okay, well, is someone who might not have otherwise been playing, is that are they? Is Flynn Cameron going to be able to come in and just score 10 points per game kind of thing? I kind of think he might be. Like, I have big raps on Flynn Cameron, and this could be a huge tournament for him. Zone in on the, the case, USA, but... though. Like, against well, USA, that's... if... Fl- 
if Flynn Cameron that's scores the first 10 points against you the see USA, this. yeah, like that, that's good. Yeah, like well, there's the first opportunity we'll get to see their full rotation and which of those younger, newer, more inexperienced players are going to be asked to do that role and who is going to, like, we'll get hints of who's going to be capable of it. Because if you can do it against the USA, you can do it against Jordan and Greece, right? Yeah, so I think that's a pretty com- comprehensive kind of preview of the USA game there with turnovers, lack of turnovers yeah. is good. Who scores points is going to be interesting and who gets the minutes because there are young players hunting minutes and if they get minutes against the USA, if they score points against the USA, if they don't have turnovers against the USA, that's how they're going to defeat Jordan and Greece. Also, sneaky bit of uh, breakers spotting with some uh, local lads. Shout out the breakers. They've brought in some local lads into their... uh, into their squad, I think uh, Kelman Potto, Carlin Davison, and Max Darling. That is a fantastic trio of NBL players. Are they going to be playing for the Breakers this season, you reckon, hard and fast? Or is that just kind of a bring them in, shuffle them out? Because we know yeah. the Breakers are renowned for not liking players from New Zealand. Yeah, well, I I suspect it's bring them in and shuffle them out because there are obviously Tall Blacks players right now uh, who are with the Breakers who are not part of preseason because they're away with the Tall Blacks, you know? So I I suspect there's a strong likelihood that they're just picking the best domestic players around saying, you know, come in, it's a little bit of a trial for you. We'll see how it goes. But we mostly just need you to, like, um, just we need you to do the thing that these guys do in our training so we can prep the team kind of thing. Like, um, Carla Davison, come in and beat Dan Fotu for us because he's not around kind of thing. I I do think there's a chance, though. Like, because I... Uh, Carla Davison, I think, is eligible to be a DP. Um, I think Max Darling might be as well, but I'm not sure because he's had a previous uh, NBL contract. I'm not entirely sure how this stuff works. What I will say, the Breakers have no open spots on their full roster. So they've only got um, development... They've got two development spots available, but they usually only use the one, which goes to Alec Benort at the moment. He has that. They should be using more than one DP role. Like, you think that's the obvious thing for a Kiwi basketball team. The only professional team would be to sign a few... At least get a couple DPs in there for some professional experience, even if you don't play them, but... They don't tend to do that. So, But there is a possibility, and Davison is certainly someone who's had some NBL buzz around him, and Max Darling, as I say, has been there before. Dom Calman potto has been a Breakers DP in the past as well. Like, there's, there's possibility there. Um, we'll see how that goes, though. They could also be signed as injury replacement players, so where it's like, if an injury happens, you come up. They did that with Jaden Bazant last year, so he trained with the team a lot, but wasn't actually in the team until someone got injured and he kitted up, and then they came back and he wasn't there anymore. But there's possibility like that. It's nice to see those guys around and getting the experience, even if it's nothing else, though. It's still better than nothing. The Niche Case Derby goes down at Mount Smart Stadium. We're back to Mount Smart Stadium after the big man Daniel Anderson round, so shout out to him. And shout out to the Warriors. They take on the Dragons. Dragons who kind of suck. No disrespect, Nico the Wildcard Dragons fan here. A little bit me. of this disrespect because is... you used the word kind of. The Dragons. I think that's inaccurate. <laughs> suck. 
no Thank you. Uh, no caveats or anything there um and this will be an interesting another interesting game for the warriors expect a big crowd and i have got an additional distillation another put putting these last three wins for the warriors through the filtration filtration system and you know just you don't really like filtered water is good but you also want to expose your gut microbiome to unfiltered water as well so just for all the uh listeners out there don't worry if you're not filtering your water but i do like to filter and distill warriors performances out into key insights the variety show was all about big crowds and a finals atmosphere that the warriors have been up to their neck in so if you want to explore that take you can check out the variety show where i lay it all out big crowds finals atmosphere honkadori one thing i did realize is that the last three games the warriors have played those teams for the first time this season first time playing the titans first time playing the tigers first time playing the sea eagles now we'd also built up this idea that all three of those teams are quirky out of the box attacking teams with plenty to play for they are not easy games right i think the dragons are an easier game than those three teams the dragons don't have that attacking funk they don't have the willy-nilly approach they're just not as good at rugby league and i would say the bulldogs are another team like that where they just got a bit of a rot in their club the thing about the dragons is that the warriors have played them before and I think not having any game experience against the Titans, Tigers, or Sea Eagles might have made those games closer, might have helped make those games tighter affairs. Like the Warriors don't have a previous game to fall back on as far as like sussing out the weaknesses and approach to those games. So I, I would like to add that to the three wins in a row finals atmosphere gritty wins patient wins against quirky attacking teams playing each of those teams for the first time helped that idea dragons as we know the warriors smoked them over in australia and the warriors i think they've got a pretty idea of the weaknesses on offer in the dragons lineup i think the they know how they can break down the dragons they know the threats that the dragons pose like we did see tyrell sloan i think he might have zipped out zipped around it might have been pompey in that game over in sydney like the warriors have been exposed to tyrell sloan this season they have been exposed to the dragon systems this season they have also already scored 40 odd points against the dragons this season and i in reflection of the last three wins i think the fact that the warriors had played the titans tigers and sea eagles for the first time this season i do think that is relevant for how those games went and i think the fact that the warriors have played the dragons already this season and this is going to be another finals atmosphere like mount smart's going to be fizzing might get 25,000 people 
maybe i don't know but you'll definitely get at least twenty thousand people and i think this is a this feels more like a celebration game where the warriors can just roll through their processes roll through their systems and i do not think this is going to be a gritty patient performance from the warriors i think this is going to be domination from go to woe yeah, yeah, woe on the side of the um, dragons in that equation. Like they, I will say one thing for the for the dragons is that they haven't been thrashed very often this season. Like they've not been a very good Shout team, out. but they've had a lot they of close, like yeah, a lot of close losses where it's like they're in the mix, they're just not good enough to get over the line, which it's not, it's not good, but it's it could have been worse. You know what I mean? Like there's. There was a spell when they were losing by just one to two to maximum like four points for about five games in a row, which is like uh, at that point it's it's almost not even talent. It's like you've well they've sacked that coach since then, so that's a big part of it. It's also just like the confidence and the just not quite having the um, you know everyone on the same page and pulling in the same direction like there's when you get to small margins there are ways to overcome that stuff and they have not been able to do that all season um so the, but they haven't had many thrashings and they were competitive for a while against um against the Melbourne Storm till Will Warbrick started running straight basically um but, you know that, that's that's something at least in the dragons favor however one of the games in which they have been thrashed was the time when they played the Warriors last time, so perhaps that uh, that sort of resilience, it's not resilience, but at least there's a little bit of defensive structure there, doesn't really count because they're playing against one of the teams who have ripped them to pieces with that same formula. To be fair, it wasn't just Will Warbrick tearing well, up the no. Dragons last Jerome week. Jerome Hughes right? was unreal too. It was Jerome Hughes, it was Eliasar Katoa, it was the Storm's right edge against the Dragons' left edge. What happened when the Warriors played the Dragons in Sydney earlier in the season the Warriors right edge tore up the Dragons yeah. left edge yeah. and I think that's going to be the recipe once again I did highlight in my preview on our website the newstashcase.com the battle of the centers will be very interesting because Rocco Berry is going to be lining up against Moses Sully I like that matchup for Berry because he's a big physical center who wraps blokes up he's a uh, maybe the best way to view Rocco Berry is like one of those like uh, not not a sticky note, but like a suction thing that you put on the window. That's Rocco Berry. <laughs> as soon as you get near him, he's just right on you, sucks you up. And I think he's uh, going to be stuck to that Moses Sully window all game. But on the other side of the field, you have Zach Lomax versus Adam Pompey, and I think it's an opportunity for Adam Pompey just to flex a bit of defensive prowess. And that is part of this other idea of the Warriors. Like if you split their if you split the team into middle, right, left, I would say attack and defense. The Warriors' right edge is ranked first, their middle is second, their left is third. So the right edge, they score a lot of tries. I think that right edge is pretty solid defensively. Middle, and I will say, as we've always talked about, the middle is probably the most important, though. Like, everything that happens on the right edge starts in the middle, so... I might have the middle rank first just as far as the importance of that goes. Either way, the left edge is third. They are third for scoring points. They have, you know, 
scored a few good tries recently. Pompey scored against the Tigers. Nice pass from Johnson. And their defense hasn't been as good on the left edge either. So you're going to have Pompey defending Lomax, which will be a fascinating matchup. And you've also got to change there with Jackson Ford going back to the bench with Josh Curran starting. To me, that just seems like rest and rotation, workload management. And we have talked about that for the last few weeks as well. Where's Tom Alley playing? He's playing big minutes in New South Wales Cup. What did Bunty Arfoa do? He's had less minutes. He's been on the bench. He's been in New South Wales Cup. He's being managed. We talked about Dylan Walker, Jazz Tavanga, and their minutes they are getting or not getting. To me, it seems like this stage of the season, Andrew Webster's just rolling through different combinations and he's giving different players an opportunity. So it will be interesting to see how the Warriors left edge with Josh Curran defending their... Um, how they stop one of the best, most potent weapons for the Dragons, which is Zach Lomax at center as a offloading threat, running threat. And since uh, Shane Flanagan, since he got the job to start coaching next year, but he's already doing stuff for the Dragons while he's Sea Eagles assistant coach, I do think Zach Lomax has played better footy. So I will be interested in how Adam Pompey matches up against them but i think the warriors forward pack is just far superior and they'll just roll through them and everything else will be great the dragons are also 0 11 away from home this season shout out to them because there's a lot of noise right now about the knights right the knights have won seven in a row the knights home ground is amazing mount smart is amazing there's going to be 20,000 people there. The Dragons are 0-11 in away games this year. None of those have been as tough as going to Mount Smart Stadium. Which I think sets it up quite nicely. Yeah, I didn't realize the 0-11 thing. Um, but then, you know, I've tried not to focus in too much on the, the ins and outs of Dragons' um, results and stuff this season because they haven't been very good. Um the so what do you say Pompey and Montoya are on the Lomax Ravalawa side is that right I believe so Lomax hasn't played recently but before he, he missed a named, couple so, of games yeah. yeah but when he was playing a couple of weeks ago he was playing right center I believe yeah he because yeah, that was a, one of the things with the old coach was that he'd been playing him a left center so that he wouldn't do his little flick off load but then and also to try strengthen that side defensively but then it just nullified his strength and didn't work um so yeah he has been back Ravalawa right wing and Lomax right center and that side's been pretty good uh the Suli Matt Fengai side on the left for the Dragons has been awful like defensively in particular because Sully is a big lad who runs the ball hard like that that's solid but those guys have been real and that's the side that Will Wilbrick scored a hat-trick on as well so that's yeah they've they've been shocking defensively for all season but in particular recently that that's a worry and that's so that's the Rocco Berry and Watsune Zelesniak side isn't it and Watsune Zelesniak is the guy who scored 19 tries in his last 12 games so I would suggest that that's a um, that's a rather worrying factor for the for the Dragons coming into this, and a extremely positive factor for the Warriors, where that's the side where they've been the best at scoring lately. 
and the Dragons have a clear weakness defensively on that side. I think that we can expect Watane Zelezniak to continue his, I think it's six games and counting with a try-scoring streak, and it's 11 in the last 12. I think we can expect that to continue. It's, I believe it's very important to note, though, like the Storm thing, it was Jerome Hughes and Katoa as well. Yeah, you're and right. And the Dragons' left edge defensively, who... I think Ben Hunt probably plays right edge, so you've got uh, Amone mm. and either Billy Burns or Dan Russell, neither of whom seem very good. Um, they're going to be defending on that edge as well. And we know Sean Johnson's in the best season of his career, which is a cornerstone of that. The stone that the builder refused becomes the cornerstone, and that is Sean Johnson's defense. So I think the whole right edge for the Warriors as we've always noted this season Sean's Nickel Clockstar swoops on the right edge he is primarily a right edge player so in attack but like that whole edge whether it's Sean Johnson near Corey Josh Curran has been playing right edge when near Corey goes off so I'll be interested in that rotation uh, Jackson Ford for example may come off the bench to play right edge in place of Marata near Corey because all season near Corey has played 50-60 minutes and that's when Josh Curran comes on to play right edge. But it's about their whole edge up against the whole edge. And that's where the issue is for the Dragons. Because Fiongai and Sully, they have to deal with the like the mishaps that happen inside them. Yeah. And that's, that also tells the story of the Warriors' left edge. Because it's not that Marcelo Montoya sucks or it's not that Adam Pompey sucks or um, Luke Metcalf sucks or Jackson Ford sucks having played 80 minutes on that left edge all season it's everything is connected and that's where you get into pondering the return of Timaira Martin who was named in New South Wales Cup ideally I think you want to if Timaita Martin will is if Andrew Webster views Timaita Martin as a top seventeen player for finals footy, I think he needs to play a game before finals footy for the Warriors. So that means that he will start next week. I think they are in a way trip to the Dolphins, and I think Timaita Martin is just a better player than Luke Metcalf, straight up and down, better defensively. He doesn't have the speed of Metcalf, but he's a fantastic ball player fantastic runner I think he's just a better rugby league player than Metcalf and you yeah you don't want to put Tamare Martin in for his return week one of the finals you probably want to give him the last regular season game of the season and then it's like what so that battle between Metcalf and Tamare Martin is very interesting and I think Tamare Martin is a key cog in making that left edge more potent in attack because he's a better ball player than Luke Metcalf, and also more solid defensively. Because like his mana is is pretty high. Like the effort he was putting in earlier in the season was blatant, and I just think he's a better player than Metcalf. I'd imagine I can't remember enough about the first few games of the season, but I imagine he brings a much bigger kicking option as well than Metcalf, right? Not necessarily because Metcalf did have a few more kicks against the Sea Eagles. And it's those punchy kicks that I was talking about with Sean Johnson. Metcalf mm. had a couple of them down the left edge. I think 
again, I think Temata Martin is a better player overall, so he does have a bigger kicking quiver. And he does have the same kicks, but Metcalf's a pretty good kicker, and he did show that against the Sea Eagles last week. So either way, I don't think it matters given how much kicking Sean Johnson does. Like you do, both yeah. of them are alternative options. In the same way, Wade Egan can kick out a dummy half if he needs to, but ultimately, Sean Johnson is going to be doing most of the kicks. Um, and it's also, I was thinking like. It's pretty good right now because I think a lot of Warriors fans, they might be frustrated. I, I do tap into this a wee bit. It's like the Warriors have won six in a row, but it's all about the Knights, right? Because they've won seven in a row. Um, let alone people realizing that home field advantage matters. The Warriors didn't have home field advantage for two or three years. All of that stuff. Right now, you don't want anyone in Australia talking about the Warriors. A, because we want to sneak under the radar, we want to surprise teams and surprise Australians, but also, who are the Australians talking about right now? It's clubs in turmoil. And that's a good thing for the Warriors because they are not in turmoil. Everything looks pretty solid for the Warriors. And I do feel like during that pandemic phase, which we know was absolute mayhem, and I don't really want to judge anyone involved in the Warriors from that pandemic phase but people were pretty off Cameron George there was a lot of like niggle about the owner and how involved and just his antics all of that just doesn't matter at all right now because the Warriors are pretty solid they're a solid business operation they're a fantastic development club the NRL team is solid and whether it's the Rabbitohs, whether it's the Tigers, the Dragons were in turmoil for a little bit there. There's no shortage of idiotic Australian antics in the NRL right now. And the Warriors are part of none of it. And you know, that's just a good thing to savour at the moment. Yeah, I'm just looking at some things. Because you, you mentioned Sean Johnson doing a lot of kicking. It feels like Sean Johnson in this Dragons game is just going to be able to absolutely control things off his boot because uh, the Dragons, I can tell you, are 15th out of 17 teams for uh, run meters, total run meters. They are 15th out of 17 teams for post-contact run meters, and they are 16th out of 17 teams for kick return meters. So... Basically, if you pick them deep... uh, Sorry, who's what? Last week, it was about Seagulls were last for kick return meters. Are they still last for kick return meters? Um, Let me check. They are still last for kick return meters. By, yeah, it's a decent margin, but they might be catching up to the Dragons because they're not doing anything. So, yeah, um, if you, you know, complete a decent set, make... 40 to 50 meters and kick from just inside the half and then set the dragons up inside their 20 they're not getting out you know they're, they're not going anywhere with that you're just going to keep them kicking from inside their half the whole game and you're going to steadily win that arm wrestle go closer and closer and then you just pick on their left edge defensively and just once and least next scores a couple tries and there you go like there's a simple formula to doing that it's like thinking back the warriors patiently grinded the seagulls down 
And heading into that game, I did say the Seagulls were last for kick return meters. So you can see how they work together. We're going to grind down the Seagulls, keep kicking down their end. They're not going to make many meters. We will make hay as the game goes on. That is amplified a few times against the Dragons. Because the Dragons, they don't make post-contact meters. They don't make run meters. And Tyrell Sloan is going to be picked up and driven back every time he returns a kick. So the thing to watch out for as far as practical things is that the Dragons will start their set of six. They will be tackled, first tackle in the 20 meters every time. And if you do that 10 times and a half, 10 to 15 times maybe in a whole game, it adds up. And that's where you're going to see the Warriors just grind down the Dragons. Yeah, I don't know if I've got a thing here for um, errors, but I'm guessing the... I don't know. I actually don't know where the Dragons would be on errors, but... Um, yeah, well, let's see. Uh, conversion percentage. Here we go. Um, oh, no, wait. That's convert. That's kick conversions. Yeah, 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 man. Wrong one. Uh, position. They are 8th in position. Around about one of the many teams have hovering around that 50% mark. So they don't make too many more errors compared to their opposition, but they don't need to make errors if they're running off their line, do they? You're already in bad yeah, position. Yeah, but have you, <laughs> have you gone to errors, stats, errors? Uh, no, because it doesn't have it on the generic page that I ended up on. Oh, hold on a second. So we'll go errors. The Dragons are 11th for errors, so they're not that bad. Yeah, Warriors mid-table. are 12th for errors. Another stat to watch out for... And this is another tip for the bandwagon. That was my uh, latest Warriors yarn. The Warriors, they don't offload. They are 17th for offloads. Interesting. So whatever racial stereotype you've got about Warriors footy <laughs> and offloads and Ali Lawatiti, that doesn't happen with this Warriors team. So keep an eye on that one. As far as other interesting bits and bobs in the NRL, um can't see the eels defeating the panthers tonight thursday night but if they do dylan brown's going to be one of the best players on the field so i'd like to see that happen um other big games raiders versus broncos that's a big game broncos had the bye last round and they have tightened up their rotation there's just jordan ricky there for their kiwi nrl funk um Knights versus Sharks is another another top eight humdinger. And uh, Leo Thompson's in fantastic form. And you've got the regular Sharks, obviously. Greg Mars, who did say on the Variety Show, maybe the sub pod. Um, hat-trick of hat-tricks last week. Greg Mars, who were Warbrick and Dallin Waitane-Zelesniak, all from Aotearoa. No Australian had, did that, let alone three Australians. So, you know, we're out here. Um... I did mention NRLW. There is a full preview that you can check out. But the Parramatta Eels are dead last. They've lost all five games. And now they bring in Kapua from Talpo. Um, she was playing... This is an interesting idea, actually. Kapua was playing for the Bulldogs under 18s, I think it was. And the Bulldogs have been very busy in recruiting players from Aotearoa to go into their Tasha Gale Cup and New South Wales Women Premiership team but they don't have an NRLW team. So the Bulldogs invest all this money and effort and resource into recruiting players from Aotearoa to then play for other NRLW teams. 
because the Bulldogs don't have an NRLW team, but they are fair play to them. It's actually a bit weird considering that the Bulldogs, they've, they've kicked out all their Kiwi NRL players in the NRL team. So I'd love to see the Bulldogs suck even more because there's no Hayes Perham, there's no Carla Lawapu, there's no Raymond Faitala Mariner. They're all gone, um, and the Bulldogs still suck. So obviously none of them, those players were reasons why. Um, so, yep, don't like the Bulldogs. Uh, the Dragons had a big win, and they've got the, the halves pairing. Tyler Nathan Wong, Racing McGregor talk a lot about Alexis Tawanii. She's still there, and it's going to be Alexis Tawanii versus Georgia Hale in the Dragons versus Titans. Georgia Hale is first for tackles made in the NRLW. Alexis Tawanii from Wellington, she is third. And she's also much younger than Georgia Hale. Uh, Maya Hilmawana returns for the Roosters. She's a fantastic big bopper up the middle. She is starting prop. And you've also got, as I said, Tafito Lafaeli Blackfern. She is playing for the Broncos off the bench. First game this season for her. And the Raiders, they also have a former Blackfern in Shale robbins Retty. So that game will feature two former Blackferns coming up against each other. I think Lafaeli is going to play in the middle. Shale robbins Retty, as we know, she's out at left center for the Raiders and... That's about it. Lyshawn Albert-Jones is promoted to start at edge for the Newcastle Knights as well. In NRLW, you've got, as I said, the Eels are dead last. They haven't won a game yet. Roosters, Knights, Raiders, they, they are all 4-1 and one at the top of the ladder. And they all have an abundance of players from Aotearoa. Roosters have Fotumawala, Otese Pule, Maya Hilmawana. The Knights have Shanice Parker, Abigail Roach, Nita Maynard, Lyshawn Albert-Jones. And the Raiders have Api Nichols, Madison Bartlett, Shael Robbins-Retti, Kitty Hiratina, Matua, and maybe Mackenzie Wiki. Mackenzie Wiki was named on the extended bench for the Raiders this week. Otherwise... I think we can all just chuckle at the mayhem of some of those Australian NRL teams. Like, it's quite funny. Especially from the Kiwi NRL perspective. Like, we're out here. We're taking over the NRLW. You got Joey Manu named at fullback for the Roosters this week. Fantastic players on both sides, men and women, from Aotearoa. And some very weird Australian NRL antics do not involve players from Aotearoa. So that's great. Just on that, um, the, the hat-trick of hat-tricks things as well, to further to that point, I was looking at the top try scorers list, and you've got a three-way tie for first, which in itself is a narrative to follow for the rest of the season too, because that's Dylan Watanez, Lesniak, Alex Johnston, who's always up there, and Jermaine Asako. So you've got two Kiwis in the top three, all on 21 tries, Michele Ravalau is on 20, he's Fijian. Dominic Young is on 20, he's English. Then you've got Ronaldo Mulatalo on 19. Uh, Alofiana Camperera on 19, the other Australian. And then Greg Mazio is on 18. So there's four Kiwis in the top eight and only two Australians. It seems like the... Um, it feels like the NBA uh, better big man thing. <laughs> They're all European. I was going to say, like, it feels... It's probably even maybe the Dally M, you're going to have Sean Johnson. You might have yeah. some other international players there as well. But it's like the leading try scorers. 
But if, like, say, Alofiana Camperera, who I think is eligible for Samoa, he might play for Samoa. So then it's like, just list the um, top five again. Uh, the top five is Wadnez Lesniak, Johnston, Isako, Ravalawa, and Young. So none of those players might play for Australia. Like, Johnston is PNG. That's right. There you go. So, like, the leading try scorers in the NRL are not Australians. So that's great. Because as we know, Tigers, Bulldogs, Dragons, Dragons of no Kiwi NRL funk fame. So shout out the Dragons. You're the only team in the NRL who will not have a player from Aotearoa in your team, I imagine, with Ben Murdoch-Masilla on the extended bench. He might come in, but otherwise, the Dragons suck and they got no players from New Zealand. All these other teams are absolutely shambolic. Easy to see why. Quick note to finish, Wellington Phoenix, they have an Aussie Cup fixture this weekend. And there's also domestic footy finals, is that men's and women's Chatham Cup, Kate Shepherd Cup? or? Yeah, the, the finals themselves aren't for a couple of weeks because the semi-finals have just happened, so they've sort of set that up um, just so people know that is... Uh, Christchurch United are playing Melville in the Chatham Cup final and it is Western Springs against uh, Wellington United in the Kate Shepherd Cup final. So those will be on the same day, I don't know, probably in about a month because they'll be after the league seasons are finished which still have a couple weeks to go so they'll come back around to that. But there was some good semi final I don't know if you saw the one with um, Melville beating Waterside Crory and then uh, Jerson Lagos got a... I think he's got two goals actually. Yeah, then he went to the crowd, chucked a hoodie on for some reason. I don't know if that was just... That must have been spontaneous, eh? Like, I don't think that's a planned thing, because it just didn't seem to be any point to it. But he's a bit of a character, that dude. He's, um... Ah, oh Christ, I'm trying to remember. I think it's... Colombian. I think he's got Colombian heritage, yeah. And he's, um... Big on the old TikTok. He's, he's, he's done quite well for himself on that, so... You know, he was um, a fun player to watch, one of many fun players to watch for Melbourne when they were in the National League last year. They're not going to qualify for the National League again this year, but they do have a Chatham Cup final coming up, so that'll be cool. But the Wellington Phoenix Aussie Cup, do you have like some preview notes for that? I do encourage anyone, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter. Lots of Flying Kiwis information, lots of video clips, got a big Flying Kiwis yarn, so there's plenty of... Aotearoa football is doing great things around the world, but here and now to finish the podcast, how are you feeling about the Wellington Phoenix heading into an Asia Aussie Cup, sorry, game? Is it a finals game? What's happening? Squad stuff, style of play, what do you reckon? Yeah, round of sixteen. Uh away to Melbourne City, it'll be a four PM kickoff New Zealand time. So an afternoon game in Melbourne, which is uh you know, this time of year, that's not so bad. So they snuck through their first game. Um, I would expect we see a bit of a stronger lineup against Melbourne City, but it is like only the second time we'll we'll have them in action under under Chiefy's uh, leadership. So there will be that sort of. I, I settled on calling it a four-two-four formation, and then you get like the fullbacks tucking in rather than pushing wide to sort of help out the midfield with a you know two wingers and two number nines across the top. So you got all, the the most width is at the top of the line. So that's a different thing to how they've been operating in the past, where they kept their fullbacks wide, looking to overlap, and didn't really get too much of that because they 
weren't working those um, spots so much. But um, it, it's a different look to how they've played in the past, and this is going to be a big test because Melbourne City are really good, and it's the third year in a row that they've been drawn against Melbourne City in the Aussie Cup. I think they won two years ago on penalties. Last year, I think they got knocked out by Melbourne City, but I might might have that wrong. I'm not sure. So... It will be a tough test, but it's also effectively a preseason game as well as a cup game. So you and they haven't signed anyone since the last one. Like there hasn't been that that last import spot is still open. Haven't done anything with that. Um, so there's it'll be similar to last time, but I would imagine maybe you get like well David Ball missed that last game. Maybe he comes back in if he's fit again. Not sure about Ben Old's situation. Um, but we'll see how that goes. They had five guys in the New Zealand Under-23 squad that's going to Olympic qualifiers, which are going to be hosted in Auckland, and I think next week it's it's coming up soon. So those there were five guys in that squad who have all been released from the uh, Olympic squad. They're going to miss the first game for the Under-23s there, so that they because they've been called up to the travelling squad for the Phoenix here. So that's like uh, Finn Sermon and Kelly Heald and. Um, uh, dudes on dudes in that sort of caliber. Um, so we'll, we'll we'll see how they go. It would be nice to get another good Aussie Cup run. They've made it past at least the first. Like they've they've won a game in this competition for I think three years in a row, where they had only won one in like eight years before that. So they're getting better at this thing. Um, but a little bit skeptical how they're going to go because it is a bit. Last time they played against an MPL team, this time they're up against the premiers from last year and the beating grand finalists so it's a, it's a different story with a rebuilding not re, not fully rebuilding but i guess recalibrating squad there they've changed the they've changed the coach they've changed the style a bit a few different sort of points of attack it's a good opportunity to see where that's at but it will be difficult to get a result against a strong melbourne city team but we you know anything can happen at this stage of the season we, and anything can happen in cup footy anyway so it'll be it'll be a fun test to see where they're at same as the kind of tall blacks for the usa are there any other key indicators you're looking for coming into this game ahead of the season as far as like ticking boxes getting things on your checklist well i think just the shot tallies will be interesting because I think with the last game um, the against Peninsula Power, they I was more sort of just looking for how they played rather than how well they played. I just wanted to see what the new coach's ideas looked like, and so you get a bit of an idea of that. But they also like took them 120 minutes to beat a team from a lower grade, right? And I admittedly there was it was you know match fitness wasn't there and there were a lot of young dudes involved in the squad so it wasn't the phoenix at um you know full steam ahead or anything like that but i will say i i I like the idea of how they're setting up but we didn't actually see that much in terms of like chances clear chances shots on target um quite a few shots but a lot of them were blocked but that's also kind of the thing when you do play against a weaker team. They will just sit back and try to soak you up a fair bit and get bodies between the ball and the goal. And there was some of that too. So maybe Melbourne City, who are quite a possession-based team, will be a bit more like, um, you know, they'll play a higher defensive line. And maybe that means the wingers keeping nice and wide will have a bit more room to run into. Or there'll be... Um, more room in the in the midfield to, to pass around... Well 
was, there was room to pass in the midfield last time, but it was hard to progress that from the midfield into the attacking third. So maybe there'll be a little bit more space in that kind of way. So that kind of stuff. It's the first game was just how how did they play? What did they look like? What was the formation? What were the sort of patterns that you could see them trying to implement? Now it becomes about like okay, well you you've you've set the tone, like you've showed us that. Now you're playing against a much better team, but you've also had longer to work on these things. How well can you do this now? Not just not just what are you doing, but how well can you do this? Beauty. We'll see how well the Tall Blacks can play basketball. We'll see how well the Black Caps can play cricket. We'll see how well the Warriors can play rugby league. And we'll see how well the Dragons can do it, not having any player in their team from Aotearoa New Zealand over the weekend. Big up yourself. Official prediction for the Nice Cash Derby? Oh, 40 to 12 to the Warriors. Two games with 40 points put on you, Drew. Yeah, I think that's going to happen again. Rightio, we'll see what goes down at Mount Smart Stadium on Friday night. Big up yourself. Kia kaha, stay beautiful, cha-cha.